But man, guys, it is good to be here. We are in week two of our uh, Kingdom Culture series. And uh, I just got, I wanna start with one question. Well, maybe a couple questions, but we'll start with one. How many of y'all are ready for a vacation? Those of you who are not raising your hand, what is wrong with you? Like the answer is always yes, I'm ready for a vacation. Now, second question, if you, when you guys think about vacation, are you a mountain person, a beach person, a theme park person, a staycation, everyone leave me alone person? Like how many of y'all are mountain people? All right, how many of you are beach people? Any theme park people in here? Adrenaline junkies, see the adrenaline junkies yell the loudest. Anybody staycationers, you're just like, just get me away from humans. Yes, nope, I get it, I get it, I get it. But vacation, uh, one of my favorite, I'm, I'm a mountain guy. I am a mountain guy, give me cold over uh, warm any day. Um, one of my favorite vacations I ever went on was just, a, uh, I believe it was two summers ago, uh, my wife and I got to go out to the Grand Tetons in Yellowstone National Park. And it is breathtaking. I mean, like I, I had never been, I, like when I was a kid, we went to Yellowstone, but I, don't remember, I didn't remember anything about it. Grand Tetons, never even seen them, but man, was it incredible. So this summer, cat is out of the bag, we are taking all of our kids on a vacation-style movie trip to the Grand Tetons in Yellowstone, and I cannot wait to see my kids' faces when they are standing there looking at the Grand Tetons. There's a lake right in front of it, and they're just right there. And it is incredible. And then we're gonna go to Yellowstone and see all the natural wonders of what God has made. Geysers, weird ponds that if you fall in, you will die. I mean, like, we're scared. We, we, may, we may come back one less, but um, no, I'm just kidding, we won't. They're gonna be locked down. Um, but he, here's why I share that, because when we go on vacation, there's a lot of reasons that we go on vacation. Maybe you just want to, you need a break from the grind. Uh, you want to escape from the projects you've been working on, the people you're around. But at the end of the day, I think what it is, is because we want to break from the familiar, right? The humdrum, we, we hit our alarm, get up, take a shower, get in the car, go to work, work, get a little lunch, work some more, come home, exhausted, watch some Netflix, go to bed, Scroll on my phone, put my phone down, pick my phone back up, scroll a little bit more, see what happened in the last five minutes, put it down, and finally go to sleep. And then we get up the next day, and we kind of do the same thing, right? Life becomes very familiar and very routine very quickly as adults. And so vacation becomes an escape from the familiar. And the crazy thing is, I think, what, I think if I were to th think about what is the vacation, whether you're a beach person, whether you're a roller coaster person, whether you're a mountain person, I think inevitably what you do for vacation is this. You are chasing the feeling of awe. The feeling of awe. We want to be awed. We want to get out of the familiar and we want to see something, do something, experience something that was awesome. And whether you're a mountain person or a beach person or a roller coaster person or whatever, I believe in my experience in life, as I talk to my friends and I watch what I try, what, what I like to do is I think the human condition is we like to be odd. And the crazy thing about being odd is to find ways to create awe or to experience awe 
is to somehow find a way to make ourselves feel tiny. Did you ever think about that? That we don't feel awe at work. We don't feel awe in our house. We feel awe when we're skiing down a mountain that we are a little tiny speck on. Or we go swimming in an ocean where we can't see the other seashore. Right, like to be odd, it's almost this automatic, I have to make my feel, myself feel small. Or maybe, you like, maybe you're a concert person, right? Like Jason. Dude, if he can go to a JT concert every night, he would. Because there's thousands and thousands of people in an arena and no one's looking at you. You're just like, man, look at this experience. This is amazing. Ah. Oh. And I only bring this up because I think in the second half of Colossians 1, Paul does something. And I want to invite you tonight to vacation. I want to invite you into our faith vacation. Because what we're about to look at in Colossians, there's only one reason for it. There's only one reason that Paul writes this. It is to create awe in the church in Colossae. Because reading this, I don't know about you, but it makes me feel small. And so we're gonna talk about that tonight. We're gonna go on a vacation with the Apostle Paul. We're gonna look at one of the most theologically rich and awe-inspiring sections of all of the Bible. We get to stop and look at the awesomeness of Jesus and, and the results of his sovereign reign in this world. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter one, and we're gonna go on vacation. If you weren't with us last week, I wanna give you a quick update on what the heck is happening in the city of Colossae, which is in modern day Turkey. All right, so there's a, a group of people in, in the town called Colossae. That's why this letter is called the Colossians. He's writing to the Colossians. Uh, this city used to be a major uh, economic trade hub, but for the last hundred years or so, it has been on a steady decline because all the money in the trade have gone over to Laodicea and Heropolis, which are about 10 and 13 miles away. And so they're seeing businesses leave, families move because no longer is this what it used to be. And so they're seeing economic decline. They're seeing um, some natural uh, disaster type problems. Like it's well documented that this area of the world this time had a lot of earthquakes. In fact, Colossae, not too long after this letter was written, was completely leveled by earthquakes and was never rebuilt. Not only that, they live in a world, because it, because it is, used to be such a trade hub, there were a lot of people from all over the world at that time coming through there. And so there were a lot of different religions that were being peddled and explained. And so there's a lot of pagan, paganism going on along with Judaism, along with Christianity, and a mishmash of all of them. And so that's kind of the culture that's happening here. And what we looked at last week, Jason alluded to a little bit, is Paul's writing from a place called Rome, which in that day, was basically the whole world. It was the epicenter of the world in that day. But he's not sitting at a cafe drinking a mocha. He is in the prison chained to a wall with his buddy Timothy because they're Christians. And he has had a friend of Epaphras come uh, to the prison from Colossae and say, hey Paul, this is what's going on. Let me give you an update on what's going on back home. Because Paul had actually never been to Colossae. 
He had been to Ephesus, where Epaphras heard the gospel and then took it back to his hometown and started a church. And so Paul writes, and he does three things that we looked at last week. First, he encourages them. He's like, hey, I've heard of your faith. I've heard the way you love one another. The fruit of the gospel is bearing fruit. It's growing. More people are coming to Christ. You've understood the grace of Jesus. And then he turns and he says, but I'm gonna pray for you so that you may be strengthened in your endurance and patience and joy. Because he knew what was coming. He knew they lived under Roman rule. He knew the town they lived in and all the the, uh, confusion and religions that were a mishmash there. And then lastly, and this is where we kind of camped out last week, is he finishes up the very beginning of his letter with reminding them whose they are. That they are not simply Roman citizens. They are not just from Colossae. But no, as a follower of Jesus, understanding the grace of God, they are now, they have been transferred from the dominion of darkness into the dominion and kingdom of the beloved son, Jesus. They've transferred. And then we get to where we're at tonight. I'm gonna read, verse, I'm gonna start in 14, and we're gonna go all the way through 23, and we're gonna, we're gonna read the whole section, so follow with me. Well, let's do 13. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now you have to remember what Paul's doing here is he's writing to a people that live in a world where Rome is the kingdom and Caesar is God. And they live in a city where they're being pressured to add to their gospel. They're under pressure that Jesus really isn't who he says he is. And so he's writing this letter to make sure that they know that King Jesus, of the kingdom of his beloved son Jesus, Rome does not hold a candle to Jesus. Caesar has nothing on Jesus. And he's writing to solidify them and say, hey, last week we talked about remember whose you are. Tonight we're gonna talk about the who of whose you are. We're gonna look at what Paul says as what I like to refer to as King Jesus. So, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Stop. This is my first point. Jesus shows us who God is. Jesus simply shows us who God is. 
It says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That word image is the same word cone in Greek. And this word has two ideas. One is likeness, right? Like a coin where it's stamped on there like George Washington or in that day Caesar. That is the image that has been stamped on. It's a mirror. And the second idea of this word, a cone, is the manifestation. With this, and this is the idea that the sense of God is fully revealed in Jesus. That this idea of God has now put on flesh and bones and been manifested in our world. And so Paul is not just saying, hey, he kind of looks. No, he's saying he is the image of the invisible God. For the first time in creation, to these people for sure, they're being told God has come and now you know him and you can see him and touch him. And so I was thinking about this. I was like, you know, how, do we, how do we do this? Like, well, how do we do this in our world? And it, me and my team were talking this afternoon. We thought, you know what? There was a craze, I think it was last fall, maybe last summer, it was last summer, called the Face App. I know y'all downloaded it, and now Russia has all your information. But what did the Face app do, right? It made you old. It made you old, right? You went through all the, some of you paid for the extra filters to make you, you know, yourself look younger or older or whatever. But I remember, I, I did it. I was like, yeah, this would be fun. And I took my selfie, one of the few in my entire life, and I looked at it, and I was like, I am my father. I am Bill Roshkoff. I pulled out pictures of him and lined him up, did the, you know, the side by side. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm my dad. And what Paul is saying here, way before FaceApp, is that Jesus shows us dad. If you wanna know dad, if you wanna know God, know Jesus. If you wanna know what God thinks, look and listen to Jesus. If you wanna know what God cares about, look and listen to Jesus. You wanna know the character of God, the burden, what burdens God, what makes God happy, what angers God. You wanna know the will of God, you wanna know how to love well like God, look and listen to Jesus. I think sometimes we just make the mistake of saying, I think this is how we do it. When we have four books of the Bible, that tell us what he said, that show us how he lived, that lays Jesus before us and said, this is the manifestation of God. And if you wanna know the invisible God that made all this stuff, look and listen to Jesus. It's pretty amazing that God would do that for us. Hebrews 1 verse three says, the son of God is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his power and word. You see, we can't see God, but we can see Jesus. I've never heard God's audible voice, but I can hear the words of Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Now I wanna look, and this is where the vac vacation begins. You guys ready? This is where we're about to be awed. And so we're gonna take this slow because when I go to Yellowstone and I go to the Rocky Mountains and I go to Jenny Lake and I stare at the Grand Tetons this summer, 
I'm gonna tell Taylor to take the children <laughs> and I just wanna sit and look. I wanna feel small. I wanna look at God's creation and be like, awesome. And that's what Paul's about to do. Let's look at verse 15. And I wanna see if you can catch a theme here. In verse 15, Paul writes, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. My second point tonight is that Jesus is sovereign over all things. Jesus is sovereign over all things. In verse 14, it says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption. And we have the forgiveness of sins because he's the only one that can do it. He's the only one. In verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Right? We were made like in the image of God, Jesus is the image of God. And then later, it right after that in 15, it says, he is the firstborn of all creation. And this idea of the word firstborn is not like, oh, he's the first of three. Not birth order. This is inheritance language. Because in this day, in the ancient world, the firstborn inherited everything. This is inheritance it's all his. He's specially honored, first and only son over all creation. Verse 16, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him. He's the one that put it all together. And then it says, all things were created through him. And then once more, it says, all things were created for him. That all of creation, every sunset, every person, all the things that have been created by him and through him are for him, for his glory. So that we would see things and be like, oh, cool sunset. No, no, man, God is good. It's a reflection of the glory, majesty, splendor, and goodness of God. Jesus, King Jesus. All of creation. Not only did he create it, it was for him and through him and by him. Verse 17, it says, he is before all things. He existed before all things. 
verse 17 again. It says, in him all things hold together. And I love that Paul added this because I think a lot of times, so far we're just talking about physical creation, right? And we're like, yeah, God was busy back then. Like he did a lot of work in those first you know, seven days. But no, this says, he holds all things together. Look at our universe, the physical world that we live in. You explain to me who keeps gravity going. Not me, not you, not the government. They couldn't get anything right, right? Who's holding gravity? Who's making your heart beat? Who's bringing air in and out of your lungs? You're not thinking about it, you're just doing it. All things hold together because of Jesus. He is actively working right now in the physical realm, in the spiritual realm, in the emotional realm. He's the one doing it all. Verse 18, Paul turns a corner. He says, he is the head of the body of the church. You see, he's king. He's the lead pastor. He is the good shepherd. He's the beginning, the head of the church. You see, in America, I'm gonna go on a little tangent here for a second. We tend to make church about us. We do. Do I like the music? Is that preaching style the one I like? Is the coffee good? Are the chairs comfortable? Are they nice enough or are they too nice? It's a little creepy, right? And what Paul is saying is, no, 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 no. It's not about you. It's about him. We come in this room on Tuesdays. You go to your church on Sundays to worship him because he is the head of the church. He's the beginning. He's the one that put it all together and he's the one that holds it all together. He is the beginning in verse 18. He is the firstborn from the dead. And again, what does this word mean? Inheritance. He doesn't just inherit the living. He has gone and he has died on our behalf. And now he is the first one who has been risen. And he inherits all. He is the firstborn among the dead. Verse 18. In everything, he is preeminent. It's not a word we use very often. That word simply means he's in first place in everything. It's all about him. It's all about him. In verse 19, in Jesus, all the fullness of God dwells. You wanna know God? Look and listen to Jesus. Watch him, learn from him, study his words, study his prayers and you will start to feel the heartbeat of God. What he cares about, what he doesn't care about, what, he, what makes him angry and frustrated. The fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. Can you imagine that? In a human being, God took his fullness and dwelt in one person. Like, is this mind-boggling to you? It should, it should put us in a position of awe. Because unfortunately, 
if you are anything like me, I become very familiar with Jesus. I become very familiar with the church. I become very familiar with the routines and the songs and the weeks and the programs. And I need a vacation from the familiar. And I wonder if you do too. Maybe you grew up in the church You've done all the programs, you've got all the Easter services, you go to the Christmas Eve services, you did the choir when you were a kid, you went on youth group trips, mission trips, whatever. And your faith has become familiar. Maybe it's time to be awed by Jesus. Maybe it's time to sit with one text and memorize it and marinate in it and know it and sit at the feet of Jesus and just be awed by the majesty and the splendor and the grandeur of God. I've been to the Grand Canyon. It gave me the chills. Because you look down and you can't see the bottom. And you look across and it's like three miles. And you're like, this is, God's got his finger on this. Like you just see God written all over creation. And I think, this is my opinion, this is not in the Bible, I think there is something in the human condition that craves to be small because we know we are small. But we try and make ourselves big. We try and make ourselves a big deal. But I think on vacation, we want, and we're somewhat weirdly drawn to being in awe and just have something just make us, whew, whoa. We're drawn to it. Something bigger than ourselves. And this is what Paul's talking about. Verse 20. This is the activity of the king. This is our king. If you are a Christian, this is the activity of your king. He reconciles all things to himself whether on earth or in heaven. You see, what Jesus is about, because it's the heart of God, is to make all things bring them back. The Garden of Eden in Genesis made a break. The way God made things was broken because we wanted to be big. We wanted to be big. And he says, what Jesus is doing is he is reconciling all things. Like we talked about this last year, if you, remember, if you were here last year in Romans 8, he is, re he is reconciling creation. Like the creation we see now is tainted by sin. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? The things that make us quake and shake and look in awe, I can't wait to see it when God renews it all. And it no longer has the taints of sin. Number tw no, verse 20, he says, because he reconciles, he makes peace by the blood of his cross. That's what the king of God's kingdom is doing. You see, we're often overwhelmed by the things of this world. We're often, we're often anxious and worried and scared by what I would call all the things, right? All the things, ah, oh, I can't handle it. But here's the thing. Jesus is over all things. He's not unaware 
He knows. As Paul did earlier in this book, or in this chapter, he, we need encouragement. We do. We need encouragement. And you know what, it feels like Jay said earlier, it's great to know that people are praying for us. It's encouraging. But it's not enough. I don't know if you've ever been encouraged by so many, but in the back of your head, you're like, but I, I, I know I can't. Like, I know you believe in me, and I appreciate that. That's why we're friends. But I know, deep down, I can't. And that's our position. Is that, you know what, Paul's like, hey, you're doing it. You're following Jesus. You have faith in him. You're, you're bearing fruit. You're loving one another. He says, but let me show you what you really need. A savior who is supreme, who is ultimate, who is preeminent over all things. There's a great quote by a guy named Abraham Kuyper. I don't know who he is, but I love his quote. He says, there is not a square inch in the whole dominion of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. That's King Jesus. It's his. It's his. Who put you together in your mother's womb? He did. He knows you. He is over all things. If the Colossians were going to grow as Christians in this new kingdom of Jesus, Paul knew from prison in Rome that they needed, and so do we, we need to know the centrality and supremacy of Jesus Christ. Not in theory, in actuality. We need to sit with a text like this and let God's word make us feel small. It's okay. It's okay. Because God is infinitely, infinitely huge. This was the moment of the talk where I thought about showing one of those videos of the planets. You guys know what I'm talking about? When they start with the Earth, and you're like, okay, here's the Earth, and then here's Saturn, and then here's Jupiter, and then here's the Milky Way, and then here's like, and all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness. Guys, who do you think made that? Right here. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus, King Jesus, we can sit in awe of him and it is good to do so. My last point comes from verses 19 through 23. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. My third point is that Jesus secures our salvation. King Jesus secures your salvation and mine. It's not me. 
it's not you. If you read this, it is all him. It says, for in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Jesus to reconcile to Jesus all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, Jesus has now reconciled in his own body the flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless. That's, that's our king. That's our king. If you're a Christian, that's your king. That's what he's doing for you. Paul's told us who Jesus is. He's sovereign. And now he's telling us what he has done and what that means for us. You see, we were once alienated. I'm gonna put these on the screens. This is who we were before Jesus. We were alienated. We were once hostile in mind once we were doing evil deeds. That sounds like the dominion of darkness from verse 14. That that's who we were, we're alienated. But in Christ, through the cross, we are now reconciled citizens of a new kingdom. We are now holy and blameless. And we are now guiltless before him because Christ has taken our guilt on himself. Dominion of darkness, dominion of the beloved son of God. Jesus is sovereign over all but he doesn't do so withholding from us. He does so for you. He does so for you. Ephesians 2 talks about this. Paul writes another letter to, to Ephesus where Epaphras first the, heard the gospel. He says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world, alienated. But now, I love the buts in the Bible. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near because of the blood of Christ. That's your king. Your king has used his authority, his sovereignty to bring those who are far near. I don't know about you, but that's a king that I want to worship. Because I know who I am. I know what I've done. I know what I've looked at. I know what I've said. I know what I've thought. I know all the things. But he is over all the things. And he has brought redemption. He has brought me in. And he offers the same to you. You see, the result of Jesus' authority over all things and, the activity is, and, and his activity is that he has transferred his status and his privilege to us by the blood of the cross. You see, he is the firstborn. It's his inheritance that now he shares with you and with me. He doesn't hold it. He says, it is yours. Come, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Jesus is not a king that uses and abuses his authority to shame, control, guilt, and manipulate people. Isn't it, it, wouldn't, doesn't it make sense that that's how Satan tries to characterize God? Christians, the church, that God just wants to control you. He just wants to make your life miserable and watch you and punish you. Like, no, that is the opposite of what this says. Satan is a liar and really good at it. No, King Jesus doesn't use or abuse his authority and power. He uses his power and authority and privilege standing as God's son to set you and I free from the kingdom of darkness and by his activity make you new, reconciled, blameless citizens of his kingdom. That's why we worship. That's it. That's why we surrender our lives We surrender our wills, we surrender our schedules, we surrender our desires, we surrender to him. Because he's so good that he said, I'm gonna use my power and my authority and my sovereignty for your good to bring you near, not to push you out. But the enemy has done a great job of convincing people that's exactly what God does is he pushes you out. You gotta be good enough. It's the opposite of what the Bible says. It's in his loving kindness that leads us to repentance. We follow Jesus not out of fear, but out of joyful gratitude that he has done for us, secured our salvation, what we could not do for ourselves. It is the grace of God that transforms us. It's the loving kindness that leads us to change, to repentance. So, Jesus allows us to see who God is. And Jesus is sovereign over all things. And Jesus secures our salvation. Guys, you need to sit with this. If there's ever a text to memorize, this is it. Because in the moments of chaos, when you feel like life is spinning out of control, where you're like, I'm just flailing through life, just like, oh, what is happening? You need a rock, like Colossians 1, 15, through 20. You need to sit and be awed by Jesus. Take that vacation. And it's available to you every day. Free of charge. No airfare, no lodging. It's free. Be awed by Jesus. So what do we do with this? Sound like a broken record sometimes when I say this. If you're new, maybe not, but You need to marinate in God's word to know God. Marinate in his word. I love the idea of marinate because it just soaks in the meat and the meat becomes the marinade. They become one. And if you're gonna marinate, marinate in the gospels because that's where Jesus is. It's where we see him speak. That's where we see him pray. That's where we see him get mad. That's where we see him cry. That's where we see him do community. That's where Jesus is. So go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and sit at the feet of the grand of all and say, Jesus, teach me, show me, lead me, transform me into what you would have me be as your, in your kingdom. Number two, let all the things remind us all things are all his. Let all the things remind us that all things are all his. 
Train yourself to remember that he is over all, in all, created all, through him, by him, for him. It's all his. So in those moments of chaos, those moments of fear and insecurity, go sit at the feet of Jesus and remember, they're all his. Whatever your worries are, cast your anxieties on him. He cares for you. And lastly, thank him and worship him for all that he has done for you. That is the appropriate response to our king, Jesus. To worship him, to thank him, to live with gratitude. Right, take all the, all the things that, that are going wrong in your life, that all the things that you don't know about in your life, the things, all the things that cause stress and anxiety and fear and worry, whatever it is, take all, list them out. And then list out all the things God has done for you. And all the things just start to, oh, okay. It'll be okay. He's got it. Psalm 103, it's gonna be on the screens, says this. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Don't forget what he's done for you. Don't forget, because what he's done for you is awesome. It is awesome what he has done. And so our only response to that can be thankfulness and gratitude. So I love the psalmist, do not forget all his benefits, what he has done for you. So as I close, I guess my only question is this. Do you need a vacation? Do you need a vacation? Because I know one. They'll do more good than any beach or mountain or roller coaster. And it's a vacation that you can go on every day and be awed. All you have to do is open his word and marinate in it. Just sit there and read the awesomeness and the goodness of God through his son Jesus. Whether big things or small things, he's got them. One of my favorite things to do when I do this myself is I open to the book of Job, specifically chapter 38 through 41. And it's this amazing conversation. Job's complaining. And God tells Job, gird your loins. I'm about to speak to you like a man. And for four chapters, God displays his glory before Job. And halfway through, Job is like, I cannot speak, I will never speak again. Because God says things like, where were you when the sun rose? Where were you when the goat gave birth on the side of the mountain? What God's saying is, I was there. 
Who made the sunrise? I did. And so whether it's small things or big things, he's over all things. And the biggest thing he is over is eternity. And unfortunately, as we saw earlier this week in the news, we never know when the door of eternity is upon us. Never know. You see, God's grace will be there tomorrow, but unfortunately, we do not know if we will. So I have to ask the question tonight, it's just on my heart, have you trusted Jesus, the king of eternity, with your eternity? Have you done that? Or have you just gone to the church programs all your life and you call yourself a Christian? Or have you ever actually stopped and said, Jesus, I submit to you, I'm yours. I want you to be my king. I need you. Save me. And maybe tonight's that night. We're like Peter as he sunk in the water, just cried out, Lord, save me, and Jesus reached down and saved him. Don't wait, God's grace will be there. We don't know if we will. If you have trusted Jesus as your king of your life, then I wanna encourage and challenge you to boldly and confidently live for your king. Enjoy living for your king. He's good and he's the giver of good gifts. So live for him with boldness. When I was a kid, my dad was huge, 6'3", 250 pounds. Thanks to my mother, I never got past six foot. But I remember, I could go anywhere with my dad because he was bigger than everybody else. And so I walked with a confidence, not an arrogant confidence because I knew it wasn't me, but I knew who my dad was. And so if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus, walk with confidence, with humble confidence that your Savior is over all things and he is working all things out for your good. So I'm gonna leave this psalm up here as we go back into some worship in our 120 seconds. And I would just encourage you, if you've got nothing else to do during this 120 seconds, just worship him and thank him for all that he has done. And then we'll come back and sing in just a moment. As always, our prayer team will be available. Let me pray. God, thank you uh, for your awesomeness. God, thank you that you are big and we are small. God, thank you that you are big, but you are good. God, thank you that you have done the work to reconcile a broken relationship and bring us back from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son, Jesus. Thank you. God, help us. I pray for anybody here that doesn't know your grace, that doesn't know what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. I pray that they would listen to that little voice that says, come. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you real rest, eternal rest, because I've done the work. I pray for us who are Christians that you would embolden us with humble confidence to walk in a way that is worthy of you. In your son's name, amen.